This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstiles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got everything from comic books, old school, new school, signed sports memorabilia, signed wrestling memorabilia. Anything you need or want, they got it. Best thing is, they ship worldwide. Even better, they update daily, so please visit them at firstrow.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Galaga, GoldenEye 007, Mega Man 3, and so many others. Everything you see on their websites available in paperback and ebook format, so please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. If you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products, please visit LegacySubs.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They got everything from sleep aid to muscle building, anything you need or want that makes you feel great, makes you look great. They are Legacy Sports Nutrition over at LegacySubs.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device in the description. It's embedded right there. Click on that link. It takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs, anything you need or want. They got it. And the most important thing, please, each and every week, if you haven't done so already, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week, I'm joined by a returning guest who is a game TV and film developer. You've most likely played one of his games since he's made them for pretty much every platform out there. Two of those games are Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Cowabunga Collection, and Atari 50, The Anniversary Celebration, which were both dropped this year. He is the president of Digital Eclipse, Mike Micah. <laughs> Thanks for having me on here. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, so have I. Like I said, it's been over a year since I think the last time we talked, the last project you just dropped was the Blizzard Collection. Yeah, that's right. Um, wow. That right? does feel like so long ago. But, <laughs> I could imagine. Um, it wasn't really that long ago. <laughs> well, in the developer's point of view, I guess it is. Because look, just 
I named those two games, and then you also helped develop or put out the Garbage Pail Kids game as well, and whatever else, you, and your arcade that you have online too now. It's like, oh my God, these guys are nonstop, my friend. Uh, we, we basically, this year, 2022, we hit the accelerator. That right. Was, our, our whole mission was to like, go as fast as we can, get like do the things we want to do, and it was just uh, it, it was like a perfect storm, and it's going to continue to be a perfect storm. Uh, you mentioned the arcade titles. We we did the first three, so we had a Halloween game called Candy Creeps. We had Invasion of the Buffet Snatchers for Thanksgiving, and we just dropped oh. Jolly Jolly Ball, which is the Christmas volleyball game. Right. And uh, you can only imagine where we're going next, but like uh, oh. we're having a lot of fun putting these out there for people to join our mailing list. No, and, and that's such a cool aspect, and we'll touch upon all that throughout the show for sure. But the, again, the last time we talked, you were just a studio head. Now you're the president. There was also you had the the ocean attached to digital eclipse now it's just digital eclipse why the changes what's going on is this what do you mean about putting the pedal to the metal and just like you know what i mean <laughs> well yeah there's there's also another uh big event that happened too uh those early like over a year ago was the we closed uh what was a big fundraiser through fig and okay. that helped raise uh nearly ten and a half million dollars for us to be independent and fund our own titles. Oh. So that's that's where the acceleration comes from. Uh, we wanted to see what it was like if we could just go out there and do things on our own. That means um, we we've went from being a four hire developer that was part of Other Ocean to being to moving off of uh, out of Other Ocean and being a standalone company again as Digital Eclipse, right. fully funded, and um, also expanding to where we're gonna we're doing our own publishing. We're doing like all of it. We're, we're just we're just gonna try to do everything. And, uh, I mean, it gives us control of our own destiny, but also it gives us the ability to do things we've been wanting to do for, for a long time. Yeah, no doubt. And, again, hats off to you. Like, to me, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think in the Video Game Awards there should be an award for either remake or collection or something. Because it, it's a shame that these guys were not nominated, not only one, but for two collections this year. I know. it's uh, It would be amazing if that could happen. But I think, like, uh, this, is, this is, as much as we've been doing this for... We've been doing this since like '94 or something like that, '92. Right. Um, but like this year feels like we finally got to the point that we could express our vision of what this this actually is through Turtles and Atari 50th. So this is the first time where we put we we, we took what was always considered like the bonus section mm. and made that the core experience for for what we do. And so that means like we're educating people. We have documentaries that right. we're filming. We're doing all these things. For these now to uh, make this the ultimate vision that, that, that we've, we've been wanting to hit for so long. And if you think about it, like if you go all the way back, we had launched uh, on PC and PlayStation years and years ago okay. uh, the, the Midway collection, oh, yeah. which had video interviews and all that stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And the, back then, that was almost like too early for people because like we put that on there. <laughs> those games, if you think about it at that time, those games are only 10 years old. So like Joust, Defender, Robotron weren't that old. Right. And so people are more like, just give me the games. I don't need to. I don't need to know about these. I know about them. Like I grew up with these games. That's true too. Uh, but now, if you think of like Atari fiftieth, where oh. Atari's fiftieth anniversary is really the game industry's anniversary. So now there's been fifty years for a lot of games. Not even, not even just Atari, but others as well. That people have no idea where these came from or what these games are. So now we need to do this sort of thing. We do need to support and educate people on what this was. Give people context. To what was going on and why these exist and, and also the complexities behind them and, and give them the, the context to appreciate the games in a way that we appreciated them when we were younger growing up with these games right. have a next generation learn how to appreciate these games in the same way 
Yeah, because uh, I, I know, again, knowing you, that you love Atari. You grew up on Atari. That's like your favorite. So was this like one of your like, oh, my God, moments where it landed on your lap? Or did you uh, go out and physically seek to have the Atari collection under your belt? You know, this was, uh, if I remember correctly, it came to us through Atari. Oh, okay. Um, and the opportunity. And we we basically um, had met with Wade Rosen, the current CEO of Atari. Okay. The, the best CEO of Atari since Bushnell, probably. Wow. And he uh, he really was interested in doing something different uh, that wasn't just what they've done in the like past decade where it's like, here's a collection of games, here's whatever. Right. He wanted to kind of put value back on Atari and, and you know, do what Atari deserves. Sure. And so he, he came, to the, came to our studio and listened to what we thought that should be. And he, that same day, was just like, yes, this is what we need to do. I like your vision on this. Um, let's do something really cool. And and like he understood that like we had something we that was like inside us that we want to do for so long. So he just enabled that, and we went in on this with with Atari and created what we think is now kind of like the the blueprint forward for a lot of the things we want to do. Because oh, okay. there, when you see Atari, there's 50 years of history that we had a, a huge playground to play right. in, and so that that gave us the ability to do things like interview people that normally wouldn't talk about aspects of Atari if it were only like 10 years after they left. But now there's been so much time. And with Wade Rosen and, and the whole crew over at Atari, actually, um, willing to go along for that ride. Because like we're, we're not just glorifying Atari. We're also talking about the bad things about Atari. Of course. And putting everything objectively in one package. And there were they, they, they really wanted to support that. And I, I think at this point... All those days, it wasn't under their watch or any of that stuff. So it's like, let's all just agree with everybody, what, what most people will find out or know, mm-hmm. and be like, this is what Atari was, the ups and downs of it, and here's Atari's future, and just lay down the, the, the vision of what the future should be. And so that's what this project was supposed to do, and I think we got pretty close to that that goal. No, and again, everyone could check it out online. All the all the reviews are like over 80%, 90%, so everyone's loving this. <laughs> and now, now I got to know, because myself, okay, even though I grew up in the Atari era, I was more of a ColecoVision boy. So yep. for someone like me who never played Atari, I never went back. Or even th- this new generation, why should they check out Atari games? Because ba- it's one button, like, you know what I mean? And it's like the mechanics weren't so great. So have these guys added updates, like all that fun stuff. Well, for me, it's kind of like I always equate it to, to film, which a lot of people do. But like I'm a big film nut. And when I watch documentaries about like, you know, any old movie that that I didn't really know about when I was growing up. Like, I never, when I was a kid, I didn't watch Citizen Kane. I didn't watch any of that stuff. Right. But once I started watching documentaries about those films and realizing the importance of those films and also how those films laid the groundwork for future films and technologies and everything else, I I feel that's what um, we should be doing in the game industry. And, in fact, if we're going to be telling the history of games, I don't feel like we should be telling that in just books or documentaries. I think the history of games are best told within the medium that they're that, that they existed so <laughs> if you're re- referencing something like when you're watching citizen kane they cut to a clip of citizen kane that's great but if you're listening about like yars revenge you just cut to a clip of yars revenge that's, that's not like cutting to the game of yars revenge and playing it right. and understanding what you just heard and experiencing it for yourself like film does that because you experience it the same way in the medium that is the documentaries in we need to do that in games and so that was like an epiphany we had years ago but never had the opportunity to do until atari 50th and we got really close with Turtles uh, because, like you can see with Turtles, we also did the same thing where it's like we had a wealth of knowledge to draw on and what, what's, what wasn't out there and that sort of thing. So we approach these 
with uh, kind of like an education first approach right. and um, also making sure that like for super fans and new fans, they had every bit of information they could possibly hope for at their fingertips and in a way that's super accessible and quick to, to have access to and all within context. And so it's a lot like that for me. It's like those film documentaries that make me appreciate films like Citizen Kane or Metropolis sure. or any of those kind of like amazing classics. We want the same for, for games. And I think, Yards Revenge and games like that, uh, Asteroids and all these things, deserve that amount of uh, of work to get people to appreciate what they are. So what are some of your couple favorite uh, features that you added in the Atari collection? Uh, because I was uh, involved in some of them, they're favorites because I also enjoyed doing the work. But like Star Raiders was considered a killer app for the Atari home computer line. Okay. And it, was, it, it predates Elite. It predates all, all these like space flight sims that people really like. And it was the groundwork for future flight sims. So it's it's at the time with all the context you can imagine, and even even people within the the product stuff and some of the interviews express it. It was the most amazing thing you had seen on a home computer because it felt like you were flying through real space, real time, mm. having real three D combat. And the the thing that we did to the game is that for modern players, it's harder to go back because the frame rate was really slow. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, the the status in the game isn't available to you visually. You just have to remember it happened. Uh, stuff. So we added kind of a cockpit view. We overclocked it so it could run at a consistent frame rate. We did all these things to make the game feel more modern. Okay. And so that's one of my favorite things in there. Uh, but uh, probably the most favorite thing I have in there is the, the series of reimagined games, which are taking the philosophies and design principles of classic Atari mm-hmm. um, and, and what the teams had done at Atari and mash those all up with uh, either sequels or reimaginings of, of things. So um, there's things like Haunted Houses, which is like a sequel to Haunted House okay. with more features. You can play co-op. It's like a, it's an awesome jump scare game for, for the family where you can, okay. you can play together and try to do stuff that way. And then there's uh, Neo Breakout. So it's a whole new version of Breakout oh. um, with a battle mode and all the right. stuff kind of in there that and visually really great um i did a game called quadratank which is kind of like a reimagining of combat Mm -hmm. uh, for up to four players um and then we had uh touch me which is like the original like the the handheld kind of simon style game which simon kind of came after but like uh we were able to include that for the first time here as a reimagined title Uh, i i did some work on a yars revenge um kind of enhanced so it's mm-hmm. running yards revenge but the graphics you're seeing are modern graphics oh, but it's cool. all driven from the 2600 game right um we, we have some extra features and special effects there but oh, then yeah. uh there's vector sector which i think is uh it's come out as one of the more breakout games out of all this mm-hmm. uh which is a mashup of uh many of atari's vector games into a singular experience uh oh, with very modern controls and effects and stuff, but it still feels very atari Right. So that, that whole section, the That's reimagined cool. game section, is one of my favorite aspects of it. So how many games in total, including the reimagined games, are there on this collection? I don't remember where it settled because things were changing all day in production, but it's at least 103. <laughs> what? 103 titles. Are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. Okay. There's a lot of work. <laughs> I was just going to say, exactly. That's crazy. I didn't think there was that many. Wow. And now I understand because a lot of things are coming out now. A lot of people are finding Easter eggs and stuff like that that you guys specifically put in there so people could find. Do you even know what the count is altogether of what people could eventually find? Or do you still want to keep that a secret? I think we'll keep it a secret, but I actually probably, actually probably don't even know either because there's a lot of stuff oh, in there. Like, as we were going, it was <laughs> just a imagine. pile on. <laughs> we had just piled so much. Right? I know that a lot of the secrets haven't been found yet in the collection, which is great. 
That's uh, cool. So I think people will be looking for a long time now. Usually when we, we think we're clever and we put secrets into the game, like right. people find them within the first week. And it's like, <laughs> okay, well, that didn't work. But now we're, we're, we're pretty far in. We're weeks later, many weeks later, and uh, there's some that people just haven't found, which is great. So I'm hoping like a year from now somebody has a you know a discovery that they can brag about online or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That is pretty cool. Well, the other collection that I loved tremendously, I played this top to bottom, was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Kawabunga collection. Again, hats off to you, my fantastic. Being a huge fan of TMNT when I was a child, and all aspects, from the action figures to the cartoons to the movies, everything I loved about it. W- were you a fan growing up of TMNT? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I started with the comics, and uh, I remember really liking the, the Laird and Eastman approach to, to turtles and, and drawing them in high like i was in high school at the time okay and in, in an art class that I would just religiously try to learn how to draw them the way they, they, they drew the turtles oh, that's cool and uh and then from like the movies the shows the toys all stuff right. i was just like i was almost almost too old for the toys but it didn't, it didn't matter i wanted them anyway <laughs> <laughs> and uh I so, yeah I was, I was somewhat of a I thought I was a big fan, but then I've met people since this collection's come out right. where I just look like I was just like, you know, bandwagon poser. There's no way I was just a big a fan of some of these other people. Yeah, those diehards are crazy. They know all the lore. They know everything and all the trivia. And it's like, okay, I, it's like how you said. Like, I, I thought I was a huge fan, but no. But again, you guys, a tremendous job. How did this one land in your lap? Did you seek this one or did Konami come to you or was even Konami involved in any of this? So Konami, for years, I, I believe fans have been pestering Konami about doing something like this. So they okay. they had the, – the machine was already in motion for a while, and we had been uh. working with Konami on Yu-Gi-Oh! for a number of years. We've been helping them and, and, and working on Yu-Gi-Oh! games for them. We've done some other stuff like in the way of classic games and all stuff, but we knew we wanted to work on something like this for a while. Charles Murakami over at uh, Konami, incredible producer, mm. super Turtles fan, super fan. Nice. Um, he came to us with the opportunity, and um, anyway, obviously it's a no-brainer. But yes, we're going to do this. Um, <laughs> right. But what's great is like Charles knows what we do. He knows uh, what we're capable of. Right. And so it was another one of those situations like Atari Fiftieth where um, we couldn't have a better ally than Charles because mm. he he enabled us to do the things that we thought were a little crazy that we didn't think other people would really want to do, and other publishers because it seemed like it might be expensive or whatever. Charles right. understood the value of it and, uh, and and encouraged us to continue to do those sorts of things. So when you look at the Turtles Lair, that's something we wanted to do or how we wanted to present it. And that's I bet cool. Charles was just like, yes. Yeah, right. he, he understood and also contributed a lot of the design ideas that are in that package. And oh, it was just a okay. really great synthesis between Digital Clips and Konami. Um, so that was that was phenomenal. And working with, with Konami has always been pretty good. And just like this experience we just had with Atari has been great. Um, so we're looking... We're looking to the future now with a, a number of other partners who now can look at these that's and true, realize, right? oh, that's what you want to do. And that makes sense. And so it's opened the door, even in the last few weeks, it's opened the door to a lot of other opportunities now. Oh, that is so cool. And we'll get into those if you uh, want to share. But <laughs> I, I want to stick on TMNT because, again, I love this whole collection. There's so many things I want to pick your brain about. Like like how you said, all the uh, features and everything, like the Laird, and then you have the comic books, the TV show, like uh, – the enhancements. Thank you so much. As a person now in his mid to yeah mid forties, I like my video game experiences nice and easy. I don't need God mode, but I understand why it's there. 
But yep. to have all the extra other stuff, like the rewind, obviously, the enhancement, like, oh, the quality of life stuff is just fantastic. And then even before you even start the game where you could put it on easier levels, add, uh, like, just tweak it, this, this, and that. And I think you guys just dropped another update to do even more stuff. And it's like, oh, my God, when when do these enhancements end, my friend? <laughs> well, you know, we're, again, we're all super fans as well. Like, we we want to play these games the way we originally played them, of course, but also we are older and they were also really hard back in the day. Right. And so one of the most satisfying things as a result of doing this, because we're looking at, like, what would we want to enjoy these games more now? Um, let's go ahead and put that in. But, like, I love that, like, when the game when, when it launched, so many people were posting their their uh, the end screens to the games they couldn't beat when they were kids. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, I like doing that. business <laughs> for, like, 20 years or whatever that people are like, I can finally beat it. Yes. And it's like that's what we wanted people to experience and like ultimately oh. yeah the game's hard and you like do you want to be like you can play it as you want exactly. whatever but i think a majority of people would like to go finish the missions and like get this stuff done and experience see the parts of the game they never saw before and that was like it's amazing how many people didn't get very far in these games but loved them Right, and so here we are. So now you can finally finish it, and we put watch mode and all these things in there That's for people who even don't have the dexterity to even get that far with all the assist. You can at least like watch it like you're watching a Netflix movie, chapter search, and see everything finally. And the one thing you guys added, I when I heard it was first coming out, I had no idea. And again, hats off to you. Were the three tournament edition games that I, at the time they were cool, but now looking back, they weren't so great, I guess. But it's funny how even back then. The same game released on three different consoles, almost like it's the same premise, but they're different. They're very different. They feel right? different. They look different, and like yeah, they're the same premise, but you, putting those versions of the game in there to show you that dissonance because I think there's a lot of people who didn't even realize they were all very different. I know. They just assumed they were just the same. You know, similar in every possible way. Exactly. No, because that's what I thought. Because what I first had the Genesis, so I played everything on Genesis. Then I migrated over to Super Nintendo. So it was yeah. If I saw it on one, except for like obviously the obvious ones like Mortal Kombat because of the blood and stuff, right? But other yeah. than that, it was like yeah. I always thought it was the same thing. Like the other one that always pops in my head is the Jurassic Park game. Like the one for the Genesis was so much superior to the one on the SNES, right? So true. Yeah. <laughs> but you would never know because it usually only had one system back in the day, and like you never unless you went to a friend's house or something, you wouldn't have that experience. Yeah, and again, I'm one of those people, the only turtle, okay, let's go back here. I played the original Game Boy game when I was a child. I never played 2 and 3. 2 was good, it was a better version of 1. And then 3, the Metroidvania aspect, oh my god, I think that was one of my favorite uh, games on this collection, believe it or not. Most people that we hear from never made it to three back in the day. Right, that was was like It was a revelation for them to discover it in this collection and realize that it was more of a Metroidvania-style game. Yeah, and and it was like it was it wasn't complex. It was nice and simple too. And for Game Boy, oh my god! And even the graphics from three to one, you yeah. see the big difference. And that's what I liked about like these older consoles, where you saw the progression literally happen yeah. when people figure out how to play with the car and make the games properly. Whereas yeah. now everything's already you know. Yeah, you see a difference from the beginning to the end of the cycle, but not like the severe jumps we used to see back in the day. Exactly. Like if you think back on NES, like those first games we saw were like Oof. chunky and blocky too. Oof. Like getting to Super Mario Brothers three, where it's just like a miracle that it's like playing as good as it does. Or I mean, what was that other one? That's um, Gimmick. That's the one I was trying to think mm. of. Like you could look at a game like Gimmick, and you're like, this is an NES. It looks like a Super Nintendo. Oh, and the other thing, I don't know if it's just me getting older now. 
I remembered the code to put in for Turtles 2 and 3 on the NES. <laughs> I didn't really need it for 3 because I found 3 was a bit easier than Part 2. Yeah. Especially with the down and attack move where you just throw them over the shoulder. That was mm, fantastic. But I couldn't put, put in the code quick enough. I don't know if it was... I just lost my dexterity. <laughs> I don't know what... I kept doing it. I'm like, okay, one more time. One, I just couldn't put it in. Oh, it's not just you. I, okay, I, good. One of my favorite games is a, a Super Nintendo game that's Dragon Ball Z 2. And it's a fighting game, but there's a, this window at the beginning that is a really large window when you think about it, but like you have to punch the code in and unlock all these extra characters. And I know the code by heart and everything like that, but it's like, I'm too slow to get it in. <laughs> what, used to, what I used to think was like an infinite amount of time to get it in there, right? not anymore. <laughs> it's just funny how it is when you get older. It's true. You, well, again, it's, it's like the same thing in sports, right? As you get older. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess video games, it takes a bit longer. That's why video games to me is superior, because you could play video... As long as you have... Like grip, you could play because you like in this is like in your games where you make quality of life yeah. changes to it. It's like oh, yep. anyone could play, right? I can't. I can wait to see what our like um, assisted living homes are like, our <laughs> retirement homes. Right? We're gonna have I like think retirement that. homes with big screen TVs and all the consoles in front, and we're gonna be like they were gonna be sitting in lounge chairs playing games all day, watching movies. <laughs> well, one thing I did want to know while playing the game, and I, I loved it that I was in it because, but it is frustrating the flickering and the slow motion of the oh, NES. Yeah. Was there any discussion of ever taking that out? Yeah, we do limit it. We do let you expand and reduce sprite flicker. Um, oh, to you do? Okay. To go, yeah, to go even further, man, we would have to start changing the games, their actual ROMs and the, oh. the code itself. And with that, it's a pretty big can of worms because it, the QA for that, to make sure we didn't break anything else, all stuff ends up taking, gets really expensive and takes a long time. So um, we did put in some features to allow you to like reduce sprite flickering, okay. uh, to make games run smoother without slowdown. So in the, if you look through the options, you'll find those were available that we could put them in. We, we did put those in, too. And I, I can't believe it. I have to admit it now. Even now with all these collections coming out, I used to be a, a Genesis guy. I always stood by it. I said it was more <laughs> superior. But now looking back, comparing uh, TMNT4 to Hyperstone Heist, oh, my God. You, you can't even compare yeah. the two. Like, it's it's slower. It's cumbersome. <laughs> like, it's just so much different on the Genesis. And it's just how, I don't know if I was just stubborn or if I was just on that hype train of Sega being cool at the time. But, I don't know. They had me hook, line, and sinker back then. And kudos we, to we them. All, <laughs> we march under our own banners. I remember, like, even, I had Super Nintendo before I got into Genesis. Okay. And I would fly that flag all the time. But, like, to the point that I would blind myself to the fact that, yeah, Sonic was pretty good, but I, I would not admit it. It's like, eh, ah, okay. you know, whatever. But like, yeah, Sonic was great. It was a good game. <laughs> and for the two arcade versions, is this the first time they are officially available on a home console? So I think, so we had worked on a 360 and PS3 version of the original, oh. I think, and we put that out okay. back in the day if i recall correctly i could be completely wrong i'd be thinking of something else okay, okay. Um, but i believe we did that and then uh but that was just like for like it came and went because that was again not too long after it was originally in the arcade still so um that was less of, a, of an impact but i don't think there's been anything since other than the arcade one-up i think had that before oh, this came out yeah that's true yeah, turtles thing as well yeah yeah and so there was that and then this is the first time you're getting it on all the modern consoles in this kind of and together uh, in a package like this, of course, but um, but they they have been kind of around. Oh, okay, yeah. And to me, again, now you see the differences when you put stuff side by side. Like 
Super Nintendo yeah. did such a great job in trying to encapsulate that arcade, especially with Part 4. Like, I still think yeah. the SNES version is better than the arcade version. Me too. I agree with Especially you. gameplay. But the one thing that stands in the arcade is obviously the sound effects and you have voice acting in it. You know what I mean? And yep. it's not like muffled like it is on the SNES. And that's what yeah. really popped out and uh, that I noticed uh, about the two from console to, to arcade. But what an admirable job. And also the Super Nintendo just like basically rearranged for home use in a way that was really compelling. No, and I, and I don't even remember Turtles in Time coming out in the arcade. I don't know if it's, I just forgot about it, maybe because <laughs> it came out on SNES and that was the whole thing. But I always just remember there, and I don't know, it's just being one uh, arcade and that's it, not two. Yeah, I, 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 remember, I remember seeing the second one come around and it was briefly at this bowling alley by my house and it was like, Okay. It was like a week. It was there, so I, I played it a few times, and it was just gone, and I'd never seen it again. Um, so it was sure. like one of those things where, like, working on this is like, well, now I don't know how many were made. I don't know any of that stuff, but like, at least now you, have, you get to play it again if you haven't, even if you haven't even seen it. <laughs> and it's so crazy how difficult they made these, and you see it literally go from one level to the other, where it becomes almost increasingly impossible. And I think the the count I did, I played one one run through on, um, I think it was uh, the second one, Turtles in Time. I ended up wasting forty five men on one playthrough. Now convert <laughs> that into quarters. Look how much money someone's spending if you wanted to clear it. Exactly. That was that's probably. Who knows if that's why um, the second one wasn't as popular too, right? So it's oh. like I could I could complete the first one on a quarter by the time I played it a few times, but like gotcha. The second one, I don't think even when the few times I played it, I don't. I just remember it being really really hard. <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever see the ending. Yeah, no kidding. And it's uh, well, I guess they learned their lesson because maybe they didn't make as much money on the first one that they should have, right? Because <laughs> that's me guessing, but I, I could see that being an operator problem where it's like, hey, you know, <laughs> this is too hard for people. <laughs> <laughs> so, which ones are your some of your favorites from from all time? I guess because they're all on this collection, anyways. I would say, actually, I just have such a soft spot for the first arcade turtles. Okay, that's um, fair. Of because course, my friends and I we played that so much. And I remember all, like, I can remember where it was, where, where each machine of it was, like, um, and the things we were doing and all that kind of stuff. So the nostalgia hits hard for that one. Although, uh, I, I'm like you, I discovered in this collection, working on this, that that third Game Boy game was really fun. And I think because I hadn't really experienced it before, mm-hmm. it felt very new and just like, uh, and, and it was definitely uh, leaps and bounds uh, qualitatively ahead of the, the first two games, I wasn't expecting it at all. So that was really fun to go through. Yeah, and again, everything was perfectly put together. Like I said, there's so many options, there's so many interviews, there's this, the old box art, which I totally forgot, which, again, is something that I so miss nowadays. Now it's just like a generic something slapped together, where back then it was actually like an artist drawing this. Like, who will ever forget like the Contra cover? Because exactly. how does that even look like the game? It doesn't, but someone just drew that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's something that's so lost. And I, I think you said it even the last time you, you were on. Like, you want to preserve these things because there's a way of preserving movies. There's a way of preserving music. Why not preserve, like, these video game things in, like, how you said, it's true form and putting it back out in video game format. And then you could add this digital stuff where people could go back and see where it originated from. Exactly, and part of the, the like the box experience does, and this is why we present them so often now in our work. Is like you you probably had the same kind of experience, but like going to the store, getting a game, 
driving home, having that box in your hand, oh. pouring over the box, looking at the box art, looking at the manuals. That was part that. of the ritual of getting a game. And it was part of the like the the it's one big part of the ownership of that game. So your the box would be right next to the console, the manual would be laid out. It was all one cohesive experience. So to put a game into a collection or, or represent a game now for that era and not have the box or the box art or the manual feels like you're just barely giving them the experience, the, the holistic experience of that. I know. And so for me, like I, I have fun sitting there looking at the boxes and looking at like all the details, zooming in, understanding every, every bit. Cause like, that's what I did when I was a kid with these games. I would sit there and like draw, I would spend time just trying to draw the covers on my own and like, right? replicate that stuff and everything. And it's just like, that was all fun. And that was all part of the experience. And so we're trying so to go true. further and further. Like in Atari 50, with the thing where you can zoom in, rotate, uh, yeah. and we would like get high-risk scans of these really rare games so you could have that experience with those games. Yeah, and even the strategy guides that you added in there. It's it, in some of them, it's not much, but again, especially for part one, oh my god, these guys went in pure depth with the maps and everything. <laughs> and the, kudos to you guys. Was that all you guys came up with, or did you guys take from old magazines back in the day? No, that was a Chris Kohler, editorial director. Uh, I believe came up with that idea oh, wow. okay. and worked on that and made that happen because oh, he wanted awesome. to do something that felt like Nintendo Power. And so, right, that's um, what it did feel like. Exactly, like uh, our artists Nathan, Nathan and uh, and Chris and Norm Badillo and these guys worked really hard to replicate and produce something that felt like it was in era, but also gave you all the information you needed, but also let you have instead of just being a Nintendo Power magazine with a strategy guide. You can jump to moments in those games and interact uh, at the moment it's describing, so you can actually try for yourself uh, mm. some of the strategies that the, the strategy guys kind of outlined. That was to me. I thought I didn't know the value of that going into this until they showed me what it was capable of, and oh, like, yeah. yeah, this is brilliant. Because just like the box art and the manual, strategy guides were also a big part of the gameplay experience. No, it's so true. And for people who don't understand this who weren't even alive or forgotten about it. Like we didn't have internet back then. Like that's the main yeah. source now for reviews to check stuff out for previews, whatever, so forth and so on. Back then it was word of mouth and yeah, it was a box art. So imagine all these companies that actually made a good living off of their work out of just word of mouth and their box art. Like, come on, man. Like, like it's such a yeah. lost art form. Like I know I sound like an old man now, but I don't know, man. I think physical art is still viable in today's age. Yeah, and that's the other part of this too. Is like I, my, I'm so excited to hear the next generation, like young kids now, getting these collections, playing with their parents, mm. and now understanding the value of the box art or right? what the strategy guides would do, and all sorts of stuff. That like now, like I just saw something the other day where there's this these kids in um, a game design program who are as they're making their game, they're also designing like an NES style box oh. for the game. It's part of the process cool. that they came up with. And I'm just like, that's awesome because like you value what that was and you appreciate what that was. And I hope more and more people do that. And if we can do a little bit to help people appreciate that stuff more, even better. Well, that's a whole on the rage too uh, nowadays. Like you see people coming out with old Game Boy game cartridges still and NES cartridges that are playable. And to me, that, yeah. that's fantastic. Why not? It's great. <laughs> Why not? And like, there's more and more devices coming out that allow you to play those games. That's true too. On them for on a modern television, so it's like, yeah, make a cartridge, get a cartridge made, play it in an NES that hooks up to your modern TV. That's amazing. Do all that. No, for sure. Okay, how about Easter eggs? Did you cram any into TMNT? Um, you know, probably less. Oh, there. but there is. Okay. There, there could be some though, but like, uh, I I won't know. 
like uh, Stephen Frost, our, our executive producer, will probably know those. Okay. And he never tells me what they hide in these things. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'm going to be shocked at something. I'm going to be like, Stephen. What you oh my God. But you know what? That's so awesome, though, that you, some like some studios, like even in your case, where it's like free-hearted and it's not like corporate-corporate, per se, where you yeah. could add like your little stamp as long as it's obviously not gratuitous or anything crazy, right? Oh, yeah. Like back in the day, like even like I mentioned it off the top, one of the books you could pick up at Boss Fight Books is GoldenEye 007. And that book's fantastic, but they crammed so many stuff in there that like Rare didn't know about and other things. It was just the, the developers that put them in there. And then at the end, it was too late to take it out. So it was like, haha, joke on you. But it's like, why even get angry? Who cares? Like, if you didn't bring it up to the table, no one would have noticed. So why not put their little like asterisk or something where it's like, hey, look, see, I did that. Exactly, and you know, honestly, the first kind of big Easter egg was the the dot in Adventure that Atari had done years and years ago, in the early days. And Warren Robinette, who made that game, hid his name in the game. See, and uh, because Atari, as uh, as just kind of like part of its corporate culture, did not want anybody working on games to put their name on the games. They want people to yes, know who was making these games because they were worried that people would steal them away. Exactly. But for the creators, it was very frustrating, right? Okay. So he hid his name in there and put this down without telling anybody. And <laughs> uh, I think he had already left Atari okay. uh, frustrated over a lot of this stuff when the first report of the Easter egg came in. Ah. And Atari, being super angry at first, right. eventually realized that like this is the greatest thing ever because the life of the game, it got more excitement again for the game. And people started looking for more stuff, so engagement on the game oh. went up. And that suddenly became like, Easter eggs are a good thing. And soon they changed, like, yeah, we should be recognizing designers. And, yeah, put Easter eggs in everything. So it's like, you start to realize, like, the game, there's the core game, but there's the meta game on top of it that's super fun, too. Yes. And it makes the team building the games love to do it. Uh, people playing the games love to find the stuff. It's like there's so many layers you can put onto these things. that uh, The irony being, like, it was discovered way back in the 70s. And like it still is exploited, and people are having fun with it today. See, and back then it was worse because once the game ships, that's it. No updates, no nothing. Now you could you could scrub it off if you want. Exactly right. So you just put out an update, patch it, and that's it. It's gone. But oh my god, yeah, (laughs) that's hilarious. (laughs) But no, again, kudos off to you guys. Like, okay, how about this? The the Shredder's Revenge was also coming out pretty much around the same time as you guys were. Did you guys know about it? Were you guys hyped? Did you think it was going to take away from you? I think it's safe to say neither of us knew about the other. Mm. So it was just serendipitous that it just happened to happen at awesome. the same time. They had announced ahead of us. Right. And um, so it was, I wouldn't say it was shocking. It was actually really amazing because like we, were, we saw the first footage of it and everything and it was just like ridiculously good looking game that looked like it was really fun. Right. And, um, and in no way do I think any of them were really cannibalizing the other. It actually was like the perfect storm. So it's like you couldn't ask for a better situation where it's like i mean other than maybe we coordinated on it but we didn't know about the existence of each game between us so um it just happened to like come together at the, the perfect time and i think if if i understand it correctly i think both games have probably helped each other out significantly well i think because shredder's revenge came out first to all the new people they picked it up played it because again beat them up streets of rage came out like a few years ago yeah. that was a great game too so people wanted to hop on the bandwagon then yours came out i was like oh i could go back and actually see what the roots are and i think yeah. that's where it benefited the most where the new one came out first and then you you went back to the old one like so it, it, was, it was perfect like and yeah I shredder's revenge to me game shell because yeah, they'll have like shredder's revenge and turtles collection oh, side yeah. by side exactly like, yes 
that's good. That's like the complete collection. Well, it, and that's what I was just going to say. Now, you could own all of them. You could own the new and all the collection together. And I think uh, Shredder's Revenge is one of the top ten games of this year as well. Absolutely. Like, there's just something about those beat-em-up games when you're done correctly and with love. Oh, fantastic. That's just it. There was a love letter, the Turtles. It's like clear all the way through. And to the games we played them on. Like, I just love seeing little idols in Shredder's Revenge where they're playing a Game Boy and all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, that's just like on a whole other tier of great nostalgic feels. Okay, now, I want to put you on the spot quickly here. Yeah. Is there any other project sort of like TMNT that you guys want to work on? Not that you already are. It's something that's never been introduced to you yet. Like, for me, I, I don't know. Again, this is like... Perfect world scenario, no licenses, no nothing. If you guys could do Final Fantasy one to six, hats off to you. Oh, that would be a dream project. Like that would be ideal, right? So, I mean, at that point, you get all the way up to seven, which has been re-released or whatever. Maybe even include the PlayStation version of seven, just to have oh, what the original look sure. like. Put all That's together, that would be that would be god tier collection that we would love to do. Um, clearly, and then obviously. I think there's things like um, you could do the story of Sega, start from the very beginning, oh, shit. and show the history of Sega. You uh, could do stuff like I would love to do EA, like those early days, EA, all the way up to like uh, early console, right. uh, first Madden, all that kind of stuff. And something would be amazing to do because it's a great story to tell. Every time, every time we approach something like this, we want to look at it from the narrative perspective of uh, like, what do people probably want to know about? Where, where's the good story? Um, are there heroes and villains in this? Can we tell that kind of story? Uh, but also do that with all the interactive elements of what they've built and everything like that. I would love to do all those things. And clearly, this list can go on and on and on because there's so many great studios there and is. franchises and all these things that, like, for us, the challenge is ultimately, I think one of the things that people really don't understand about kind of the things that we do is like mm. licensing is the hardest part. Outside of the actual construction and build of it, right. licensing is like the hardest part. And um, that, can, that can be something that changes daily all the way up to the day you ship like you don't know that's true like we've had situations where we find out the day before we ship that uh rights aren't owned by the people we thought it was owned by oh, no. all that kind of stuff so it's it complicates things to <laughs> a really high degree uh but that's where that's where so much effort goes and so that's what slows us down on doing like what people have always like we get a lot of requests like can you do this can you do that can you do this and i guarantee you we've probably thought about it and we probably explored it and things are getting organized and sorted based off of What's the easiest one to do as far as licensing mm. uh, that will that will be something most people want? And so we kind of go down that list, and those that list changes every day too because suddenly right. new owners or whatever come That's in, true. and it's like, all right, that makes it easier, and so now we can move that one up and that sort of thing. So um, to people listening, so yeah, rest assured, we want to do what you're thinking about right now. <laughs> and the thing <laughs> that might be slowing that down is somebody else might be doing it, or it's really hard to uh, handle the licensing on it. One, I, I, I so hope and pray that one of you guys out there do it is the Coleco collection, like how you guys did it for Atari. Because again, I grew up on Coleco. Not, this, to me, this is like the forgotten system. Everyone talks about Intellivision. Yeah. Everyone talks about Atari NES. But Coleco was more superior than Intellivision and Atari. And I had so much superior games. Yeah, I know the controller looked like a phone, but it still had more buttons. So you had more options yeah. to play stuff. And it's just the forgotten console that no one talks about. So the Coleco, the ColecoVision is an interesting case because, yes, it was the superior console. It came near the crash, so it wasn't as prolific as Atari, but right. everybody knew ColecoVision. Everybody played ColecoVision. If they didn't own one, they knew somebody who had one. Mm-hmm. It had the best games, the best graphics, the best yep. sound. 
best controller interface because they had the super controllers, they had a roller controller, they had joysticks that were not Clico controllers that you could also get from third parties. That's right. Everything about it was great. The challenge on ColecoVision is they didn't own any of their games except for a few. So oh, shit. Donkey Kong's owned by Nintendo, Donkey yeah. Kong Jr.'s owned by Nintendo, uh, Sub Rock by Sega, Bump and Jump by Sega, or whatever, Konami or whoever it is, and whichever one it was. And right. like, as you go through all those things, you realize all those games were not owned by Coleco. You have to go to like something like 25 different companies at this point and try to work out how to negotiate licensing games. And when you're talking about that sheer number of people, that price becomes prohibitive because suddenly you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on something that won't earn back that much. And so it's, it's either if, if we were so cash rich, we would do it anyway because like we want that to exist but we, you know, we're, we're like the blue collar developer just trying to make ends meet. So it's like, that's not going to happen right now. But it's like, that's a fantasy project if there ever was one for us. Because I think, I can tell you one guy here, one of our designers and engineers, Jason Cirillo, is one of the biggest ColecoVision fans oh. of all time. Like, I can look through my office window right now, I see all his box games on his shelf. Like, the guy <laughs> is a hardcore ColecoVision fan. Um, that would that's be awesome. one that we would not let pass if we had the opportunity to do it. Well, my top three games, I don't know if you know if these are owned by anyone, was Mousetrap, Gorf, Williams, uh, which is uh, Warner Brothers right now. Okay, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Coleco proper. So that one oh, you can actually probably get. Really? So that's, okay. Yeah, because Coleco, Coleco, the toy company, or uh, Coleco being Connecticut Leather Company back in the day that did swimming pools and leather. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> went on to do toys and like, so they did Cabbage Patch Kids, which was even bigger than ColecoVision at the time. ColecoVision comes along, there were deals. Like, you would you would buy a ColecoVision and get a free Cabbage Patch doll. Because that was a way for people... You couldn't get Cabbage Patch dolls anywhere. That's true. But they knew that, like, but if you buy a ColecoVision, you can get a Cabbage Patch doll. So that became a gateway for people to buy ColecoVisions. Oh, my God. Okay, I can speak ColecoVision all day. But speaking of Cabbage Patch Kids, the complete opposite, Garbage Pail Kids... That you guys yeah. held. Okay, so how was your involvement with this project with 8-Bit and uh, w- w- what's the studio? Retro, what are they called? Oh, uh, God, you're making me play oh my God. Our, our partners. Uh, uh, now I feel really embarrassed because these guys are our friends. Uh, hold, on, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, I'm looking this up right now because I don't want to let my brain be the problem. Retrotainment. Retrotainment. Jesus um, Christ. So, Retrotainment. We've known Nerf for years. They did those NES Halloween games. They're like really incredible NES, like uh, homebrew style coders, but like right. on a professional level. Um, their like abilities with the NES is phenomenal. I had not known that they were talking to IM8 Bit about doing Garbage Pail Kids and IM8 Bit talking to them about this whole thing. We were approached by both of them to oh. do uh, the console ports of the of the NES game because we. Obviously, like we put out NES games on PS5, PS4, and everything like that. Right. Uh, they just didn't have the ability to do that, so. Um, we came in uh, a little bit later as they're about, I forgot, probably three quarters of the way through or maybe a little bit further with the development of Garfield Kids for NES. Okay. And um, we got the opportunity to kind of join uh, like a Voltron with those guys and help <laughs> expand that for uh, console extent because they were originally just going to do the cartridge. Oh, and so they're like, oh, let's okay. get this out to a, a wider audience because not many people are going to have an NES to play it on. That's true. That sort of thing. So um, we came in and then we, we kind of um, brought what we do to a lot of the stuff that we do. So it's like, hey, let's put the videos in there. Let's also help them with their promotional video because we did a fake documentary about finding the original Garbage Pail Kids game. Oh, okay. Did all that stuff and then uh, also did all the, the tech and the UI and um, and helped put in all the additive things like the maps and also from the strategy guide aspects. All in kind of like what we did with Turtles. Right. Did that for Garbage Pail Kids. And so it was it was just a great honor to have both Retrotainment and um, I Am 8-Bit 
come in and ask us to be part of that because like we're big fans of both of those guys and we've known i am Apin for so many years working on a lot of projects together that it was just kind of cool to be like yeah let's get the band back together yeah, and it's such a great game that went under the radar, I find, because, uh, yeah. and it's for a great price, it's it's a low discounted price, so you could pick it up, it's not going to break the bank, and the, the controls are tight, and again, extremely hard, if you want a nice, original NES, yep. hard side-scrolling game, but so many good things, like again, you added the quality of life stuff, so you can make it easier, rewind feature, there's so many exactly. characters, there's power-ups, if you're, again, a, a kid of the 80s slash 90s growing up, Oh my god, who didn't collect Garbage Pail Kids? Like, come on. Those cards were classic. Those stickers were on the back of my bedroom door for way too long at my parents' house. <laughs> so, uh, is there anything else coming down the pipe, my friend? Like, you touched on it, like people calling you, this, this, and that. Anything that you could share with us? There's nothing yet that we can share without making a lot of people angry at us. But um, <laughs> we do have we do have several projects in production, we have a, a pretty large uh, relaunch project where we're we're taking a really early, very influential game series and bringing that back okay. uh, in a, a very big way. So we're we're working on one of those. We're working on we we'll call it kind of two spotlight uh, projects where we focus on a singular talent or game, and um, and we're bringing basically the approach that we did with Atari Fifty, where we interview a lot of people, we talk, put context and uh, other things around these the story of these people to uh, help you appreciate what it is that they did and the impact they had on the game industry. Mm. So we're, we're doing a couple of those. We got um, uh, an all new original, uh, kind of a what if game that's coming mm. out next year. That, that's tied to something else that uh, is a franch- a very beloved franchise. <laughs> um, that's kind of like, if you imagine like kind of what Sonic mania is, it's one of those things where we're making a new game that feels in era in the nineties um, but it's, it's the ultimate fan service approach. Uh, Shredder's Revenge. It's like Shredder's Revenge. Oh, okay. Uh, we're doing something quite like that. Gotcha. Um, so uh, we've got a lot of energy going into that now. And then um, we got a couple other kind of Atari 50th style things in the works as well. So we keep expanding um, our capacity and ability to build these things. And our, we're just like, I'm knocking on wood right now. We're just, we just hope that like we're doing the right things that people want because Atari 50th is out there. It's doing pretty well. I want to make sure that it continues to sell right. because the more the more sales we have on something like that, the more we can do those kind of things. But like, if we don't don't get the sales data back and it's not looking very promising, it's going to really slow down our ability to keep doing these things. And we're just back to square one on this sort of stuff because that stuff is pricey when you're doing a documentary plus new games plus all the old originals and all the stuff all included. It's it just. It's a lot of work, and uh, hopefully um, we'll see after Christmas. Uh, I hope everybody really bought into it. No, I hope so, too, most definitely. Okay, now we're at the end of the year. Everyone's talking about best games of the year, this, this, and that. I know you yourself probably haven't played too many. You're not caught up with all of them, obviously, because you're a busy man making your own great games. But is there anything that you played this year that should be on everyone's top five? Vampire Survivors. Oh, what's this? Say right now. So Vampire Survivors is like this, this new genre of Survivor IO-style games okay. where I think it was in beta on Steam for a little while, uh, even... To the point, that I think they rip sprites from other games and use that in their prototype. Um, right. But what basically is, you start the game, you pick a character, you have a number of characters you can pick, and you don't directly control your weapon actions and projectiles. They just automatically flow at a certain rate. And you start, and you have swarms of enemies coming at you like gauntlet. And you you spend the first experience in the game is you, you spend kind of like avoiding enemies while you slowly shoot at them or do whatever, swing your sword at them. Right. But then every every time you kill. 
an enemy every so every number of enemies a gem pops out and we get enough of them you get to power up weapons or add things to your arsenal and so it keeps building and building and stronger enemies come out. so the core loop is really you run around avoid enemies while you're attacking them and you collect money the money gives you better weapons or upgrade your weapons and you evolve your weapons to get to kill more enemies quicker to get more gems to get better weapons oh, wow. and this all you have 30 you have to survive 30 minutes and it all sounds very basic or whatever and when you right. look at it you're like i don't think this is a game i want to play sure. you start playing it it is so addictive really? and it's, it's i've come to find that it's also on many other people's game of the year list okay and i wouldn't even expected it so it's on xbox i know and steam i think it's on a few other things it just came out on um, mobile phones too, and I have nothing to do with this game, so I sound like I'm selling it for <laughs> right. them. But it's so good that like I I've, I've fallen asleep playing this game three times so far. Wow! I'll be like playing nonstop at night, and then I wake up and I'm like, what just happened? I, I don't know, but it's like it's that good. No, that's awesome because everyone knows the usual, you know, AAA games and all that. Fine, that's great. But those these ones that go under the radars or the like the indie games, like to me, one of my favorite games that I played this year, it has to be on my top five, was Stray. Like I did not expect yeah. to love this game as much as I did, and I and I wanted more. Like usually, I'm complaining that games are too long. I found this game was too short. I wanted more. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, but that's just it. Like I, I mean, sure, like God of War is amazing. Yeah. And like yeah. those things and everybody knows like that that deserves a spot in the game of the year list. But of like, course. it's these other ones that, that surprise me that, that I get most excited about. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, the ones that go under the radar that just like pop because you know, yeah, the big triple, you know, they're going to be good. You, like, yeah, it's some surprises here and there, but it's the ones that you're like, like how you just said, looking at it, you wouldn't think you want to play it. Next thing you know, you're, you're sleeping and drooling on the controller, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, let's switch over to movies and TV. How about your favorites from this year? Um, you know, I had just finished Wednesday and I was actually very excited about okay. uh, what Tim Burton did with that series. Right. I, that was great. So I really enjoyed that. When it comes to the movies though, like I was, uh, I, I'm, I'm so, I'm not the most, uh, I'm not, I'm more fartsy, less artsy. I would okay. just say that. Like, so <laughs> I love films like Bullet Train. I loved Bullet Train. Of course. I thought that was one of the most fun movies this year. Um, I, I, I loved, uh, I just saw Violent Night. Okay. Not like it's not like top movie tier material, but it was super fun. It's basically Die Hard with Santa Claus playing John McClane, basically, mm, um, which okay, was okay. really fun. Right. Um, what other things I've been like watching? Uh, oh, Andor was amazing. So like that's a series I did not have high expectations for. I don't think go into it, and now it makes me not like almost any other Star Wars. Really? Because it's that good. It's like you see that, and you're like, "This is the bar that everybody has to hit now." And it makes everything else look bad, except for maybe the original movies and Rogue One, and the character development, the acting, yeah, the acting's uh, fantastic. Audio, the the music, the score, everything, everything about it is just top tier. And there's another season coming, but like I was just riveted to that it was just an unbelievable experience see it took me a while to get into it i don't know because i guess i was expecting the traditional star wars let's fight lasers like you know what i mean saber it is a slow burn but as soon as again spoilers it's been out for forever so too bad as soon as they hit the jail oh my god that's when my mind blown and i was like okay i'm all in now now i'm not on my phone i'm actually watching it stop at that point yeah, right? There was, no, there was no waiting. I wanted to watch it. <laughs> and I was watching it in real time, so I couldn't get to the next episode. I couldn't just binge it. So I That's how like I was watching really it, week to week. Yeah. yeah, I was so anxious to see what the next episode was going to have. So what's next on the list for, for Disney to come out in terms of Star Wars? 
Do you, you know, know? I'm not sure. I guess like there's Mandalorian and then there's oh, Ahsoka, right. I think. Oh, that's more. right. That one too. Okay. Well, Mandalorian yeah. is always decent. Let's see what they do yeah. this season. If they shy away from Luke Skywalker or if they're going to bring him all in again. So either way. I, I, I always like Mandalorian. I think that we wouldn't have Andor or any of these without Mandalorian kicking that all off. But do, sure. do you like, enjoy really these sort of cameos as they slowly take over? Or do you like just like little one shots of them here and there? Now that I've seen Andor, I'm against all these cameos. Ah. I, I, like, I like the cameos. Okay. I, I was a sucker for them. Me too. But then, like, after seeing Andor and seeing kind of like the pseudo-realism that could exist in Star Wars, I started thinking of the, along the lines of like, wow, the odds that somebody would see all these fan-favorite characters and all these different stories are right. high for this to be. Like, I, it, it's hard for me to suspend disbelief. Uh, when you get too many cameos coming in there. But I do love, I, I guess I'm, I'm probably parodying what a lot of other people have been saying, but it's like, I, I think I'm done with the Skywalkers. I don't need to hear anything else about the Skywalkers. Sure, I want to see other stories. And it means I don't need to see another Jedi. I don't need to see another Jedi. I just want to <laughs> see the world of Star Wars sure. and all the different parts of it and the potential of all those parts. Because I didn't think I could like Andor as much as I did. And I'm sure Ahsoka is going to be fine. Like, I really had a hard time appreciating Obi-Wan. Okay. I love the visuals of it. But, I, like, there's too many things where I'm like, that was a dumb I, like dumb choice by the character. This doesn't make sense. There's a lot of that, but I just really couldn't suspend it. And the whole story arc However, with Princess Leia threw me off because in, in, yeah. uh, in Episode 4, it seemed like she never met him. But here, it's like, oh, they've been, like, best friends since childhood. And it's like, how does that make sense? Exactly. You start thinking about all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, and the, all the while, too, I'm just like, I couldn't shake the, and I know it's like a negative way to look at it. But I'm just right. like, oh, so Leia's the new Grogu. Like now they have oh. a formula. Like you gotta get like the cute character that's gonna come along for the ride or whatever. And it's like my brain was going there. I didn't want to go there. I just wanted to enjoy it. But it's like I started to like look too much at what the template they were building is versus what the story was trying to tell me. Right. But I will say that final battle with Obi Wan and Vader on that planet that looked right. like the side art of a really rocking '70s van. Like, that was a really cool moment for that series, and I, I, I thought that was really cool. Well, let's... And, let's, the, oh, and the, the AI voice of James Earl Jones. Oh, like, yes, of course. That was... That just, like, really... It's one thing that Luke Skywalker be, like, computer-generated or whatever, but right, to right. hear Vader's voice <sighs> with AI assist... There's and, only and one Vader. Coming in there. Yeah, there's only one Vader, and it sounded just like him, and it really it emphasized the right words, and it was intimidating. It was perfect. Like, to me, it's those two. It's Vader, and then the other one is Optimus Prime. When... When the yeah. movie came out the first time and it was the original actor from, I was like, thank you so much. These guys didn't yeah. fuck this up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was perfect. Exactly. And there's nothing, you can't replace his voice. And even, yeah, the live action movies and thing with his voice, it's like, you can't replace his voice. <laughs> well, thanks, Mike, for coming aboard, my friend. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure, as always. Promote whatever you want, socials, projects, floors, all yours. Go to www.digitalclips.com. We have a mailing list there. I would love for people to join because... If you've been paying attention or you haven't, just know that we give away a lot of stuff through that mailing list. Yeah. We're not um, we're not selling people your email or anything else <laughs> that everybody's always uh, concerned with. So uh, really, it's really just to help build community around what we do and also speak directly to people who like the stuff we do. So go there. We give you a lot of free stuff, a lot of free games, a lot of whatever, give you news on what we're doing. And also, follow me on Twitter at MikeJMicah on Twitter. Um, I... I probably shouldn't tweet as much as I do, but I often put a lot of news out there, too, on what's going on with Digital Eclipse and what our plans are. And a lot of uh, tweets I put out there are cryptic because if people go back, they find out that I was actually 
secretly announcing what we were doing and they didn't realize it oh. and that kind of stuff. So have fun with that too. Um, so there, there's plenty of that going on too. Yes, and we we mentioned it the last time you were on. Like your your Twitter account's fantastic with all the old school toys, <laughs> gadgets, and everything. And now that I know it's linked to certain stuff and it's not just random, now I'm going to start paying attention too, my friend. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show, support those fine sponsors, because if it helps them, it almost definitely helps me out. And most importantly, please, each and every week, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. All right, one last question before I let you go, my friend. Yeah. Who's your favorite turtle and why? But why? Oh, man. Um... I don't know. I, for some reason, I always I'm. It's not my usual choice, but like Raphael and his hot-headed approach to everything. Right. Uh, that that's just always been kind of like I, I I tend to just go to those characters all the time. I play those characters. I do whatever. Uh, so I'd probably say Raphael. Oh, that's fair enough. And for people who want to know, but mine mine would be Leonardo because he was the leader, and I like to be the leader. <laughs> But, but that's the cool thing about the turtles, because then you have Michelangelo, who's the laid-back, cool dude, and then you have Donatello, who's the brain, and, like, I guess at the time was the only nerd, like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, ev- there was a little bit of everything in all of them where it wasn't just like, oh, I want to be this one all the time. So, it, to me, th- that's what made the turtles oh, work. Your friend group all picked what they associate with all the right? time. And not that I like to be, like, the, you know, <laughs> the guy who's hot-headed all the time, but, like, for some, for some reason, I always like those characters. <laughs> awesome. On that note, he's Mike. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.